This is the seventh teaching on the Why series. This title, the title is Why We Must Fight. So we started off with why we do certain things in the church. Why do we sing in the church? And why do we pr pray so often in the church? And why do we preach? And what is preaching? And what is the church? And today, the seventh teaching is why we must fight. In Acts chapter 16, a young man is introduced to us in the scripture. Now scholars go back and forth as to how old this young man is. Some say he's 14 or 15. Some say he could be as old as 21 years old. But this is a young man and it's, he's spoken of as a disciple in Acts chapter 16. He's spoken well of by the people in Lystra in Iconium. And his first test of true commitment for Christ is to be circumcised. If he was to travel with the Apostle Paul, Paul said, you must be circumcised. Quite the test. Perhaps Paul wanted to see just how committed this young man was to the Lord's work. And Paul did not want to put any hindrance in front of the gospel. And so, this young man was circumcised. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.20, and to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. He knew that the Jews might make a big stink about this young man not being circumcised. How they would know that, I don't know. But he's wondering and thinking ahead in advance, I'm going to go ahead and do this so that there's nothing, no stumbling blocks, no distractions, no hindrances. We're going to go around the world and preach the gospel. And so this young man obliges, and you know who I'm talking about. His name is Timothy. Paul took him under his wing and for the next couple decades showed him what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. He didn't sit him in a classroom to teach him about Christ. He took him to the job site and did jo on the job training. Day after day, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Watch me and do what you see, Timothy. Watch me die daily as I follow Christ. He employed the greatest form of discipleship. Not merely do what I say, but do what you see me do. John 13, 15, Jesus said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So Paul took a page from Jesus's book. Don't do only as I say, do as I do. Now Timothy was precious to the apostle Paul. Paul calls him his true child in 1 Timothy 1-2. In 2 Timothy 1-2, he refers to him as his beloved son. It's the same Greek word that's used in Matthew 17-5 on that Mount of Transfiguration when, Jesus, when the father looks down at Jesus and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This term of endearment. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1-4, Timothy, I long to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. It's as if when Paul left, Timothy was in tears to see his spiritual father leave. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul tells the Corinthian church, he's sending Timothy to them, and he refers to Timothy as my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he tells the Corinthians, he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. And so when Paul sent Timothy, he was sending his own heart. He trusted him. He was endeared to him. When he sent Timothy, he sent part of himself. 
And I love the meaning of Timothy's name. It comes from Timotheos. Theos, as you know in Greek, means God. Timae means valuable, precious, honorable. His name literally means dear to God, honorable to God, valuable to God. He lived up to his name. He proved to be valuable not only to the Lord, but to the Apostle Paul in the ministry. I'm thankful that God's given us First and Second Timothy. These letters of endearment that Paul wrote to his beloved brother in the Lord, these letters where Paul pours out his heart, we find encouragements, we find warnings, we find instructions, pleadings, and commands from a spiritual father to his son in the faith. 1 Timothy 6.20, Paul says, O Timothy, as he closes out this letter, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. And that word O is an exclamation. It's with intense emotion in the Greek. Paul is pleading with Timothy to guard these things. In 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul pleads with Timothy, retain the standard of sound words. In 2 Timothy 1.14, he says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. He says in chapter two, verse one, be strong. In chapter two, verse three, suffer hardship with me. In chapter two, verse 15, be diligent. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two, preach the word. Chapter four, verse five, be sober in all things. Chapter four, verse 15, be on guard. And the commands that I want to look at today from 1 Timothy 1.18 and 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul repeats this command twice, and the command is fight. As long as your heart is beating, as long as there's air in your lungs, as long as you're alive in this world, your faith is under attack. From a myriad of sources and from different directions, our faith is under assault every day. How many of you realize that when you wake up in the morning, that your faith is under assault, that temptations and enticements and ensnarements and anxieties and worries and all sorts of difficulties and distresses are coming your way from a million different directions. And so it was with Timothy, and Paul knew that, and hence he wrote these letters to him. If you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy 6, 12. And actually, I want us to turn to verse 3. 3 through 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 12 to give us a little context. It says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy and strife and abusive language and evil suspicions and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. 
and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. But flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So he tells him to flee and to fight. Flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Flee from the love of money. Flee from pursuing riches. Flee from controversial questions. Flee from not being content in what you have with food and covering. Flee from these things, run from those things, and run to Christ and fight the good fight of faith. It's as if if Paul was there in person, I could see Paul almost shaking Timothy, looking at him right in the eyes. This serious conversation. Timothy, this is a huge weighty entrustment that has been given to you to preach the gospel, to fight the good fight of faith. And if you look at verse 13 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, he says, I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think I mentioned this before when I talked about preaching in 2 Timothy chapter 4, how it's as if Paul is like this older general. He's seen the battles. He's seen the, he's seen the blood. He's seen the dead bodies. He's, he's been through many, many fights and battles in the Lord, and he's looking at young Timothy, who maybe is doubting, who maybe is thinking about throwing in the towel, who maybe is thinking, if I preach this gospel, I might get thrown in prison. And Paul, as this older general, so to speak, in the Lord, is taking this young comrade underneath his wing and saying, fight the good fight. Stay in the battle. Keep moving forward. Yes, the bullets will be flying. Yes, there will be casualties, but don't give up. Keep moving forward. That word in verse 13, the Greek word for charge is parangaleo, and it actually is a military term. It means to order or to command. It's as if Paul is saying, I order you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. I order you to do these things, young Timothy. And praise the Lord, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, according to church tradition, Timothy did stay strong in the Lord. He did fight the good fight. He did preach the word. He was thrown in prison, if you read the end of the book of Hebrews. And according to church tradition, he continued to preach the word until he was beat to death. Praise the Lord, Timothy kept the faith. But he had a model. He had two models, actually. Paul, who went before him, who said, do as I do, not only as I say, but also Jesus, who he references here in verse 13. He says, look, you need to keep the good confession because Jesus kept the good confession before Pontius Pilate. He went to the cross for our sins. So Timothy, you do the same thing. You've kept the good confession. You profess Christ. Now live it out. So we're in this struggle We're in this fight. It's a fight against the world system, the flesh, and the devil, and it's a fight from security. It's a fight from a place of victory. It's not a fight to earn salvation. It's not a fight to work towards our salvation in Christ because Paul already told Timothy, you've made this good confession. You've already confessed Christ. You're already saved, Timothy. And now because you're saved and now because you're believing this gospel, show it by fighting for the faith. 
Show it by not giving in to the love of riches and pleasures and the things of this world. Show that you love Jesus by fighting against sin and running towards Jesus and believing in him. And that's the fight that we're all in. And that's the fight that many aren't talking about. That's the fight that many churches don't reference. It's just tip your hat to Jesus. Just believe in Jesus. Just walk the aisle. And they're telling half the story. And that's why I'm so passionate about these things. Because this is true biblical Christianity. It's the reality of the fight and the struggle that we're all in. And if we don't know about this fight, we don't know about this struggle, and we don't realize that when life gets hard and the temptations come and the trials come, and maybe we're beaten or persecuted or threatened to be martyred for the faith, then we might just throw in the towel. We might give up. And that is the context of First and Second Timothy. Now, Paul, like Jesus, loved to draw from nature. He loved to draw from cultural realities to make spiritual points. Jesus, in his teachings, referenced seeds, vineyards, wolves, sheep, fig trees, wedding feasts, coins, pearls, and many other things, fish, etc., to draw his listeners' attention from the world around them to teach spiritual realities. And Paul does the same thing in these letters. He references soldiers in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He calls Timothy's attention to an athlete, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Farmers in chapter 2, verse 6. And many commentators believe here in 1 Timothy 6, 12, when Paul says, fight the good fight of faith, that Paul is referencing the Grecian Olympic Games. Timothy, fight just as they fight. Just as you've seen those boxing matches, those wrestling matches, and all those different events at the Grecian Games, Timothy, they're fighting for an imperishable wreath. They're fighting for this gold medal, whatever it may be. You fight for the gospel. You fight in the same way for the faith. An article I looked up about the Grecian Games said the boxers would box until somebody died. A little bit different than the boxing matches today. It even said... They would wrap these spikes on their knuckles when they would box and bloody each other up. And perhaps this is the mental picture that Timothy's getting. Fight the good fight. The Greek word for fight is agonizomai. Struggle, strive, contend, like engaged in an intense athletic contest or warfare. Timothy agonized for the faith. Struggle and contend for the faith. Jesus said in Luke 13, 24, strive, agonizomai, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter it and will not be able. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, Paul says, everyone who competes in the games, agonizomai, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as if one beating the air. I beat down my body and make it my slave. So after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Some of my favorite verses right there. I've mentioned before, I shared those at my brother Chris's wedding. And it's maybe because I was an athlete, maybe because I played all those years of football and watching boxing at my grandpa's house. That was something we did almost every weekend or every couple weekends when boxing matches were on. We would just sit there and watch for hours and hours. And that's what I grew up doing. And 
many of us are gifted in different ways. And I was telling my wife, Leah, the other day, you know, I grew up with smart friends and they got 4.0 GPAs and they went to great universities and make a lot of money today. And I go, if God gifted me in anything, at least growing up, this is what I believe he gifted me in. And that was sports. And I just pick up a baseball bat. I could hit the ball. I picked, I just go play football. And it was like, nobody taught me. I was pretty good at it. And perhaps that's why this Greek word agonizomai and this struggle and the athletic contest that Paul is referencing to has just gripped a hold and grabbed a hold of my heart. And that's what God wants us to realize is to look at how these athletes, and even if you watch sports today or you look into CrossFit or whatever it may be and the hours and the hours and the hours that they spend practicing self-control to obtain money, to obtain notoriety, to obtain these things. And Paul draws from this and says, do that with your faith. And so I'm looking at the world of athletics and I'm seeing where I've come from and all the time and effort I put in for 20 plus years and I see what they're doing today and then I look at the Christian church and I'm seeing a disconnect. And I'm going, I'm not seeing this in the Christian church. I'm not seeing this kind of self-control. I'm not seeing this kind of diligence. I'm not seeing this kind of fight. Something is wrong and so that's why I'm doing messages on this because God wants us to fight. John Piper said, to be disqualified here, when Paul says, if I do not continue to beat down my body and make it my slave, I will be disqualified. If I throw in the towel, if I leave this race course and go off track, I'll be disqualified, which means rejected. John Piper, who's a Calvinist, says to be disqualified means that Christ is not in you. The race has been run in vain. It was a sham. He says, Paul could appear before Christ on that last day and Christ would say, depart from me for I never knew you. If in fact, he was to stop fighting the good fight of faith. If he was in fact, to leave the course. So important. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras is mentioned as striving earnestly, agonizomai, in his prayers for the Colossian church. How many of us realize that when we're praying it can be an agonizing struggle. Our, our thoughts can go everywhere. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm, okay, it's been 30 seconds. And we're already ready to give up. And this man, Epaphras, was agonizing earnestly in his prayers. In one final place where agonizomai is used, 2 Timothy 4.7, the end of Paul's life, the last letter that he's written, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I've agonized, Timothy. Do as I do, not only as I say. So in case we didn't know, the Christian life is hard at times. Who can say amen to that? The Christian life is a struggle. Peter puts it this way. Do not be surprised at the fiery trials that come among you, as if something strange were happening to you. He says this is part of our testing, 1 Peter 4.12. It's a refiner's fire. God is removing impurities. He's making us as pure as gold. And as we're in this fire, we're in this fight, we're in this struggle, and the test is to see if we'll bow to him, if we'll honor him, if we'll go through this fight and this struggle without complaining because it's gonna hurt at times. It's going to be hard at times. It's going to be agonizing at times. But will we keep the faith? Will we keep our eyes on him? 
It's a fight, and Paul says it's a good fight. Fight the good fight. It's a noble fight. It's a fight that we're honored to be in for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Now the question is, how do we practically do it? How do we fight the good fight? And I was going to spend most of my message on that and looking at Matthew 4 and how Jesus fought with Satan and how Satan quoted scripture and then Jesus said, it is written. It is written three times. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he quoted scripture. So how do we fight the good fight of faith? Just to take a minute or two. Ephesians six seventeen says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. We fight with the sword, the sword of the spirit. We memorize this book. We meditate on this book. As the psalmist says, we hide his word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. That's how we fight sin. We hide his word in our heart. We cling to his precious promises. 1 Samuel 15, 33 talks about how Samuel hacked Agag to pieces. New King James Version. Hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord. Agag was this ruthless king. He was supposed to be put to death, I believe by Saul. And Samuel sees that he's still alive and he takes his sword and he goes up to him and he hacks him to pieces pretty vicious, pretty gruesome picture of our fight with sin. Agag is a picture of sin and how Saul was supposed, to, was supposed to put this sin to death and he didn't. He allowed him to live. And Samuel knew that this would fester and so he just cut it off right there. And that's what we are to do with sin. We are to fight sin in our lives. Romans eight thirteen and 14. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The fight of faith is a fight of submitting to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to rule and reign in your heart and to put to death anything that is contrary to the Lord in our lives. First John 5, 4, whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You wanna have victory? Keep the faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So how do we bolster our faith? How do we strengthen our faith? By hearing the word of God. So as you're hearing the word of God, you're allowing it to penetrate your heart. You're grabbing a hold of it. You're believing it. You're trusting in it, in it and the promises of God. And then your faith continues to grow. And that's been one of my prayers over the last couple months, if not the last couple years, is Lord, strengthen my faith. If you ask my wife, she'd probably tell you when I pray with her and the kids, it's Lord, strengthen our faith. Lord, may we have a strong faith so that no matter what happens in this world, I'm not gonna doubt. I'm not gonna turn aside. I'm not gonna go to the left or to the right or to anything that this world offers, no matter how fiery the trial is, no matter how hard life gets, no matter what the struggle is like, Lord, I want to have faith in you. I want to trust in you. I want to keep moving forward in you. I love Hebrews chapter 11, this great cloud of witnesses, the faith hall of fame. It says of these men, they are not, the world is not worthy of them. And if you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, 32, I just want to read a little excerpt from Hebrews to give us a picture of the saints that have gone before us that have fought this good fight. They did finish the course. They did keep the faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 
32. And the author says, what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. He's already given this long list of what men and women of God have done by faith, and he wants to keep going, but he's probably running out of room. Perhaps the manuscripts that he has, he doesn't have enough room to write of all these stories. It will take up too many pages, but he'd love to talk about David and Samuel and the prophets. Verse 33, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And some of us want to stop there. The modern Christian churches stop there. They say, okay, they close their Bibles and that was a great message. But we have to keep reading. Others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. And the verse that I love, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. See, the world looks at these people as less than, archaic, John the Baptist type people who are eating locusts and wild honey out in the wilderness, just telling people to repent. And the world looks at that as idiotic, stupid, foolish. And I love how God turns everything on its head. And he says, these are men of whom the world was not worthy. The more you look like Christ, the the more you follow him in the faith, and if everything's taken from you and yet you still keep your faith in him, you're a man or woman of God of whom the world is not worthy. That's what we should be pursuing. I reached out to a friend earlier in this week. We've been talking a little bit. And I asked him how he's doing. And he's a dear brother in the Lord. He's a preacher. He's an evangelist. He loves God. He's passionate about his word. And this was the text he sent me. Quote, it's heavy, man. The battle is constant and I'm tired. It's a brother I've been walking through for several years. A brother who's cried in front of me, wept, just bawling, tears of frustration and not understanding why this and that has happened in his life. Why his ex-wife, I think ex-girlfriend, he had a child with her nine years ago or so and she's taking the kid from school without him knowing it and she's serving him with all these papers and he's just going, why is this happening? Why can't I get past this? Why is my past haunting me? Does God really love me? Why is he allowing me to go through such constant attacks day after day after day. He feels like he's not getting any relief. How do, how do you counsel a person like that? What do you tell them? And I take him to the word of God. I take him to passages to memorize, to meditate on, go to Christ, rest in Christ, cast your burdens upon him because he cares for you. And he told me recently he's at work just repeating Psalm 35 over again and another psalm that he's been meditating on. And he just said, I'm just going to keep quoting these to the Lord and singing these to the Lord until I get relief. And I said, amen. Continue to look to him. And it reminds me of Job. 
Because how did Satan try to trip up Job? Job 1.11, Satan says to God, touch all that he has. He surely will curse you to your face. Just, yeah, you put a hedge of protection around Job, God. See, if you take everything away from him, if you take away his riches, if you take away all his livestock, if you take away his servants, then he'll curse you. And I love what Job said in Job 1.20 to verse 22. It said, Job arose to his feet. This is after all his servants were killed, after all his livestock, all his riches were taken away. Job arose to his feet and he shaved his head and he tore his robe. And he said, naked have I come into the world and naked I will return to it. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And it says in all these things, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Very powerful. He fell on his face and he worshiped the Lord and he realized that all those things that he had gotten in life were from the Lord from the get-go. He didn't deserve any of those things. And if we have that mindset that everything that we have is the Lord's, even my life, then if someone's going to take it, then so be it. Because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. James 5.11 says, You have heard of the endurance of Job. How Job endured. And he wasn't perfect from chapters 2 and forward, right? For the next 35 chapters or so, even at one point he says, I cursed the day that I was born. He never cursed God. He never turned against God. He never threw in the towel. He never departed from the faith. But boy, there was some moments where he was really tested. And yet, praise God, Job endured. Luke 21, 19, Jesus said, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Unless you endure till the end, you will not be saved. We must endure. And so I believe the problem for many is that they've forgotten what they've signed up for. What you win them with is what you win them to, as it's been said. If you win people with the message of just believe in Jesus, tip your hat to him, fill out a card and live however you want, that's what you've won them to. So don't be surprised when the whole church is just living like the world. Jesus said to count the cost. In Matthew chapter eleven twenty four and Luke nine twenty three. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And Luke adds that word daily in Luke 9, 23. If you want to be my disciple, Jesus said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Die to self every day. Fight the good fight every day if you want to be my disciple. And so Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12, Timothy, you made that good confession. Timothy, remember when you said you were going to follow Christ no matter what came your way, no matter what the cost? Do you remember when you were baptized, Timothy, and you made that public proclamation of I will follow Jesus no matter the cost? And now, Timothy, it's costing you something. And you need to continue following him. And we need to look back to our confession. We need to remember back in the day that we professed Christ and said, I'll follow you no matter what. When times get hard, we need to remember the great confession that we've made. It's not the time to throw in the towel when the time gets hard. It's the time to strive all the more. And as Paul says, take hold of eternal life. Seize it. Run after it with all your might. Prove that your faith is genuine by fighting. 
What football player walks off the field in the last quarter? Have you ever watched an NFL game and three minutes to go and he's exhausted and the, the game is on the line? And have you ever just seen someone walk off the field and say, I'm exhausted? I'm tired. I didn't sign up for this. Maybe there's been one. I haven't seen it. What soldier in the heat of the battle? The bullets are flying. He's engaging the enemy and he just takes off his uniform and goes, I didn't sign up for this. What is going on here? Can anyone tell me why they're trying to kill us? No, he knows what he signed up for. That's exactly what he went to boot camp for. That's exactly what he went to training for, to fight in the battle. How many marathon runners the last couple miles just say, oh, I got some Charlie horses. I'm feeling dehydrated. It's just time to go home. I'm just going to walk off the course and get in my car and drive home. Perhaps it's happened, but I did look up an article, a list of marathon fatalities. It's an article on Wikipedia. Hopefully it's accurate. I know when I quoted Wikipedia in college, they're like pretty much just ripped up the paper right when you put Wikipedia. So check your sources. But 50 people who have died running marathons. They give you this list of 50 plus, 50 plus people who during the marathon either had a heart attack or right when they crossed that line, died right there. Over 50 people in, main, in these big races, the New York Marathon and Boston Marathon and other marathons. One of them was, I looked him up, he's a 28-year-old who had set a lot of records and like six minutes into one of these r races, he just fell down and died. They said he had a heart attack and that was it. And so, yeah, the, uh, yeah maybe. And so these people are so willing to risk their lives to pass out. Some of them, they'll limp to the finish line They'll go unconscious. You need to get them some Gatorade and IV drip fluids to finish. They'll finish. But many Christians, when, the, when there's the heat of the battle, are like, I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. We need to remind, be reminded to keep the faith. And as Paul said, I finished the course, Timothy. I kept the faith. So you do it as well. 1 Timothy 4.11. Or 1 Timothy 4.1, sorry. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul talks about the faith with Timothy all throughout First and Second Timothy. I never really noticed that before. I knew these verses, fight the good fight of faith, keep the faith. But as I read through First and Second Timothy last night several times, it just seemed like every couple of verses, Paul was hitting on faith. And it's as if the theme, an overarching theme of First and Second Timothy is Timothy, keep the faith. Don't throw in the towel. It's getting hard. And that's what he says in First Timothy 1.19. Holding the faith, Timothy, or keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. I believe it's Hymenaeus and Philetus, and he goes on to talk about them. Look, Timothy, these have shipwrecked their faith. These have thrown in the towel. I've delivered them over to Satan, Paul says. You keep the faith, Timothy. You fight the good fight. 1 Timothy 6, 10, and 11, which we, which we, we read, flee from these things. What things? Loving riches, loving money, controversial questions, not being content. Flee from these things and pursue what? 1 Timothy 6, 10, and 11. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. 
pursue faith, Timothy. You have the faith, but continue to pursue a strong faith. Grow in the faith. Grow in godliness. 1 Timothy 6.20, guard what has been entrusted to you. And he goes on to say in verse 21, some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. You guard it because some have gone astray from the faith. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, I'm mindful of this thing. I'm mindful that you have a sincere faith, Timothy. Perhaps Timothy was like, do I even have a real faith? Is this even genuine? Maybe he wrote to Paul, I don't know. But Paul even tells Timothy, you have a sincere faith and I've seen it in you. But I know it's under attack, so I'm gonna continue writing this letter to, to encourage you and to plead with you to keep it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, we can still go to heaven. That's not what it says. Just paying atten- seeing if you're paying attention. If we deny him, he will deny us. Just let that sink in. If we deny him, it's very simple, he will deny us. And he says we. He doesn't say, Timothy, if you are a professing Christian or if those who profess faith in Christ but aren't really Christians, if they then fall away or if they deny him, then Christ will deny them. No, if we, if I, if you, Timothy, if you deny Christ, he will deny you. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Hmm, some will say, oh, if we're unfaithful, he's faithful. So he's still faithful to save us if we're unfaithful. I've been told that from someone who's a pastor, actually. Because I told him, we can fall away from the faith. That's what it teaches. That's what the scripture teaches. I said, if we deny him, he will deny us. It's very simple. He said, keep reading. I said, okay. And he said, what does it say next? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. See, we can lose the faith and he is still faithful to save us. I have two Calvinistic authors on this and I could have grabbed more. Here's one. The meaning must be that if we are unbelieving and unfaithful, Christ will remain true to his word. We cannot hope to be saved. If we are unfaithful, Christ will be true to his word. We cannot hope to be saved. Here's another. This truth makes sure the unbeliever's condemnation and the believer's salvation. It's very clear. If you deny him, if you're not believing in him, you won't be saved. He's still faithful. You saying that you're not believing in him doesn't mean he doesn't exist all of a sudden. Doesn't mean he's still not a faithful God. He's still not good. If you shake your fist at him and say, I, will, I don't believe in you, God, anymore because you're not good. He's still faithful. He's still a good, awesome, great God. And you're still going to encounter punishment. And so that's why we have to talk about these verses. Six, Second Timothy chapter three, verses 10 and 11. But you followed my teaching. I love how Paul looks at his life and says, but you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and suffering such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of them all the Lord delivered me. I endured them all, Timothy. Look at my faith. Imitate my faith and my life. Do you hear the pleading that Paul is giving Timothy here? The pleadings, the seriousness. And then 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. So why is it so important that we 
spend a message talking about fighting the good fight of faith, if not more than one message. Because we need to be reminded that the struggle that we're in, the fight that we're in, is normal Christianity. Because some people think that when the battle rages, this is something strange. And that's why even Peter says it. Don't think it'd be a strange thing when you go through this fiery trial. When the temptation is strong, when you're battling so many different things and you might think nobody else knows what I'm going through, no one else can relate. It's part of being a Christian and I'm afraid that people in the church aren't hearing this. And it's massively important that we know what true, lasting, abiding faith looks like. And that when our faith is under attack and the temptations of this world come our way, we need to cling to Christ all the more. Have you heard the term deconstruction? Today, within the so-called Christian church, many are falling away, and they're even giving it this tagline, deconstruction. It's becoming this popular thing on the internet, Instagram, and so forth. Article by Focus on the Family, titled Deconstruction, a look at a popular and polarizing concept, states, deconstruction is a buzzword these days. The term ex-evangelical has emerged as an identity marker in an activist movement. People's faith stories and their losing faith stories are often emotional and vulnerable. They grow out of a biography and experiences, so Christians struggling with faith need to love and give listening ears and not merely argument. And to an extent, I would agree. We do need to be sympathetic to people struggling in the faith. We do need to give a listening ear. We do, we do need to be compassionate. We do need to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us with gentleness and respect. We need to know the word of God so that when people have questions, we can answer them. But we also need to take a page from the Apostle Paul's book and we need to plead with people. We need to warn people. We need to tell them the extreme importance of following Jesus and the consequences of if you don't and what will happen if you throw in the towel and what will happen if you deny Jesus. He will deny you. And we need to be a model like Paul was to Timothy of faith, of strong faith. For this younger generation or f and for younger people in the faith that are struggling, we need to be able to say like Paul, look at my life. Look at how I've stood strong in the faith. Look at the battles that I've been through. Look at the temptations that I've overcome and follow me as I follow Christ. Can we do that? Can we say to that young Christian or that young person that's thinking about falling away, leaving the faith, and pleading with them to follow Christ, follow us, and stay strong in the Lord, and to say it with boldness in our voice, and a tear in our eyes, pleading with them to follow Christ. So people need to know what they're signing up for. It's, we shouldn't keep it a secret of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus said in Luke 14, 28, to count the cost. He said, who's gonna go and construct a building and not first count to see if you have enough money? Because then you'll go build and you won't be able to finish the foundation because you didn't think ahead of time. How about Mark 14 or Mark 4:19? He warned of the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things to enter and choke the word. And he says it becomes unfruitful. 
in the two previous verses, he warned of those who receive the word with joy. They're excited. But then when affliction and persecution occurs because of the word, it says they immediately fall away. Matthew eleven six. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me, Jesus said. So to my dear friend who said he's in the battle and it's constant and he's tired and he's getting no relief, I respond with gentleness and with love and compassion. And I've told him this. Welcome to the faith, my brother. Welcome to Christianity. Suffer hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Welcome to the fight. And I do that, like I said, with love, with compassion, with a listening ear. And then I point him to texts like Hebrews chapter 11. And I point him to people like Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets and the Christians around the world and Christian biographies and people today being persecuted for the faith and those who have been beaten and still kept the faith. And I said, look, we have this great cloud of witnesses. Let's stay strong in the Lord. Let's keep fighting. And here's the paradox. Let's rest in Jesus. Because it's all about fighting and working and these things that I'm talking about today. And these are all found, this is all found in scripture. But then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary. And I must have quoted this verse to him 30 times. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take a Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest in your souls for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So we fight by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and at the same time we rest in Jesus because he paid it all, because he went to the cross for us, because he conquered sin and the devil and the world on the cross and because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Because he did all that, because I'm saved, I'm giving everything to him in this fight. And he never promised us it would be easy. He never promised that we would not go through a storm. He never promised that we would be exempt from trials and temptations. But he did promise he would never leave us nor forsake us. He did promise he would be with us in the midst of the storm, just like he was with the disciples when he sent them in the boat. Go across to the other side. The storm's raging. They think they're going to die. He's with them. Even at one story, because it happened several times, he's asleep on the pillow. He's, and they're like, what are you doing, master? Why are you sleeping? We're all going to die. And he wakes up and goes, don't worry, I've got this. Calms the wind, calms the storm. Everything's good. And that's us, right? We're going through the storm and we're freaking out. We're going to die, Jesus. Where are you? And he's like, I'm right here with you. I told you you're going to go through storms. I told you it's going to get hard. Cling to me. Trust in me. I will bring you safely home. And that's what he's telling us today. So whatever you're going through, trust in the Lord. A true, strong, abiding faith says, I trust you, Jesus, no matter what comes my way. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 63, your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. My soul is satisfied in you. I will lift my hands in your name. And I love Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart. You are my portion forever. 
Yes, my heart may fail. Yes, my flesh may fail. Yes, I might go through a million and one things. Yes, the world might be falling down around me. You are my strength. You are my portion forever. So though the battle rages, though sin is crouching at the door, may we say, Lord, I'm yours. My faith is in you. And may we say at the end of our lives, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for these letters that we have. We thank you for your word. We thank you for First and Second Timothy, these pleadings, these warnings. Lord, I'm thankful that Paul spoke the truth, that he was loving enough to tell Timothy straightforwardly to keep the faith, to fight the faith, to guard what's been entrusted to him, to suffer hardship as a good soldier. Lord, may we take these scriptures and apply them in our lives. Out of a love for you, Lord, out of a peace that we have with you, because we're saved, Lord, may we fight. May we hate sin. May we run to you. May we flee these things as Paul told Timothy. May we live holy lives. May we live righteously in this godless world, this dark world, Lord. And may they see our good deeds. May they see our light. And may they follow you. So Lord, help us. May we not do it in our own strength. May we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Help us to walk in the Spirit, not gratify the desires of the flesh. May your name, may your power be paramount in our lives. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.